Well, ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to The Wind Down. In this episode, we're talking about technology in the education centre with a special guest. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Welcome to The Wind Down, an afternoon podcast where two techie blokes sit down over a bowl of wine and chat about what's happening in the world of tech. Enjoy while Scott and Nick open up about their week in technology. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to The Wind Down. I'm Nick and this is... Scott. And that is... Andrew. Hello, Andrew and Scott. How are you both? Gents, very well. Thanks, very well. Wonderful. How are you, Nick? I'm very well indeed. I'm very well indeed. Now, the first question is always, Scott, where are we? What are we drinking? We, we are at We Work. We are at We which Work. Which does adequately describe what we do from time to time. <laughs> um, and today, I've actually picked up a, um, a bottle of um, Derenberg. It's the, uh, the Copper Mine Road, 2016. Mm-hmm. Nice, lovely year for there. Um, it's actually the name of the road on the side of one of the vineyards oh, they, they have there. Um, this is more of a um, one of their sort of nicer drops. I think in episode twenty three, we also had a Darren Berg, and you mentioned Copperhead Road. And it was it, it was a different year. Oh, okay then. <laughs> there you go. I believe it was a different year. It certainly could have been. It was in the middle of COVID, so God knows what we were drinking. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> it was hard to get good wine in the middle of COVID. Um, anyways, yeah. So they've um, uh, this is actually a very low yield. Um, um, bit of land that they have for, um, for, for this particular wine, and uh, just under about a ton per acre, which oh, is not not high in the sort of you know, winery sense. But because of it, when you get old in wine, in grapes and vines, the uh, the older the grapes, the less they can yield, and therefore the more potent and better the wine is. Try it then, which is they? lovely because I know as we as we get old and slower and do less, it's good to know that some things actually get better. Yeah, anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> no, very nice. Very nice. Yes, yes, there we go. Wine. I like that no, one. That's mm. good. Excellent. So um, we're talking about technology and education. We have a special guest. Well, Scott, yes. introduce our special guest. Hello, special guest. <laughs> uh, this is Andrew. I'd like Andrew to um, say a few words. Thanks, Scott. Well, um, I look after IT at a, a school on, in the eastern suburbs. Um, I've, my background is in corporate and it's been great coming to the education sector and impart some of those processes and experiences I've had into the education environment. It's been um, quite eye-opening. It's been great. So, I mean, education space, we're talking schools, and schools obviously use IT as well, um, as does your average business, but I'm gathering there's probably a few differences. Yeah, look, um, previously we've used technology in the corporate space more for delivering an outcome rather than sort of a knowledge transfer. So in the school, we have teachers um, across a, a whole range of subjects imparting their knowledge and curriculum knowledge to the students. Whereas if, if you're in a corporate environment, it's a, it's a fairly narrow sector and you're just training and educating in that very small vertical. So for me, coming in and having this wide range of opportunities to assist teachers build that environment for students to learn to drive an outcome that's going to be the foundation for the rest of their lives is, is exciting. Look, and I suppose in, a, uh, in in your sort of average business, if somebody's laptop fails or has a problem, you say, oh, okay, that's annoying, I've got to go get it fixed, you know, and okay, I'll, I'll bring up IT, or someone will send down, I'll go and do something else while it's happening. Perhaps it's a little different if it's the teacher's laptop in the middle of a class. Well, fortunately, yes. Uh, fortunately, we have a managed fleet for our teachers. So um, if that occurs, and, and fortunately it doesn't happen all that often, but if it does, it's very simply we can swap and go and get them back teaching almost immediately. So, so I suppose you know, if you compare your time in industry to your time in education, 
the business case has got to be different, right? If we're talking about technology in business, we're about investing in technology to improve a business process or reduce the cost of doing something or automate something else. I assume it's got to be a kind of different business case in education. Yeah, look, it, it's similar but different. Um, there's a number of issues that have plagued delivering technology in education for years. And interestingly enough, I was, I was reviewing some of these recently and found that out of the seven I was sort of looking at, three of them were the same from an article in 2013. So some things remain the same even though they change. Yeah, see, that was my old school motto, semper e adem, <laughs> always the same. <laughs> but hey, I, I remember when I was at school, they used blackboards and chalk. Yes. Um, now we use tablets and pens. We would come a, we'd come a fair way. Um, but, you know, the, the ability, instead of sitting up there, looking at a teacher, writing out lines and copying it down studiously, you know, think about that. The teacher now just projects something instantly, instant record, saving all of that time of manual work. We can now focus on dissecting what information is up there rather than writing it down line for line, row for row. That's interesting because there's been this concept of what's called uh, rote learning, yeah, I, I think. Yeah. Yes, where you literally, because you are handwriting something down in a book uh, once, twice or three times, you are therefore getting a better feel for the content. Now it's just like bang on a board, there's you know two pages of text and snapshot, you're done, you know, screen copy. <laughs> Look, there is a change in, in how students learn these days. It's very, very different. Yes, rote learning... <laughs> Some of us had to write out a lot more than three times, Scott. Um, but, you know. I remember a hundred lines <laughs> I shall not do X, Y, Z. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And look, did, did it work? Well, I'm not sure. I still do those kind of things. So. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think it's just the way that you can absorb that knowledge. Uh, each of us learns differently. Mm -hmm. that, that's a fact. But if you can acquire that knowledge in a different way that suits you as that individual, and through the use of technology, we can do that, um, I think... You know, I've seen just at the time I've been at school, which is just over four years, um, I've seen some incredible changes in the delivery of technology to drive pedagogical outcomes. Um, lots of data, let's turn the data in, into information and then use that to drive these outcomes for the students. Now that, that's interesting because we see organisations collecting data a lot of the time, but their ability to turn it into real information, like useful data... Uh, seems to be fairly limited in some respects. Yeah, look, I, I think they're so overwhelmed with the day-to-day -day teaching right, and, the, and the outcomes um, and the pastoral care of our students. We forget that we have all this data and if we're smart, we can turn that data in, in, into information. So one of the things we do is we gather all that information, plug it into a Power BI dashboard, and we've created some fantastic outcomes for the teachers to guide and educate the students to the best of each student's ability. So we can actually track um, how a student's performing over time, not, not just you know, term to term, but year to year. We can see where their performance is dipping. We can correlate that with some of the other activities that are going on either in the school, maybe things in their own personal life. We can see sort of the, the number of detentions versus the number of late homework, and we can sort of correlate it, and we can try and nip some issues in the bud because we have that information. It's not just raw data sitting out there anymore. We can actually use it. And it's great to see that when these things um, have dropped off, these individuals have dropped off in their learning capabilities and, and outcomes, we can get them back on track pretty quickly. So I will say, you obviously haven't moved enough because the lights have gone out. So <laughs> I'll go and turn the lights back on. You two carry on. <laughs> so I, I, look, I remember when 
when I was going through school a number of years perhaps ago, um, the, um, the, the, there'd be like one teacher who was in charge of computers and generally they were the one that sort of knew how to turn it on and turn it off and, and, and that sort of thing. But um, th there wasn't really a lot of technology engagement. Um, it's very different now because you've got, for example, a whole sort of IT department as such. Yeah, and, and it's very interesting. Um, people say, you know, how many people are working for you at school? You could give them a number and they sort of go, well, that seems a lot. But what I don't think they realise is how much technology is at the core of everything we do, um, not only just in the education space, but, but everywhere. You know, we're using some fantastic technology to record this wind down today. So you know, when you look at that, the number of technologists supporting the school um, does have a key driver for those outcomes where teachers are enabled then to deliver what they need to do is teach deliver that knowledge, right, and then for students to absorb it and grow. So it's crucial. And it's, that's sort of interesting because I know when you say technologists, it's not, oh, that, that's the IT dude that runs around and helps you plug your laptop in or changes the cable over. You're talking about also uh, people in digital literacy in looking at the delivery of education using more technically advanced methods, I suppose, or what's, what's modern? What are other people doing around the world to do this? And all of a sudden, because you know, the internet's a big place now and tends to encompass the whole globe with, with learnings and various things, you can leverage worldwide experience to look at, wow, what's, what's considered you know, best in class? Can we use that? And Yeah, how do we use our hardware and software to drive those outcomes? So, you know, the use of interactive whiteboards, interactive projectors, mm. Um, Vivi devices for casting. You know, there's a whole host of applications. Our learning management system, uh, Canvas. You know, how does that help the students learn? Right? And how do the teachers impart that knowledge once again? It's about driving those pedagogical outcomes. You know, technology for technology's sake? No. It has to have that outcome there, and that's what we're here to try and help the school deliver. So, so I would say, and we've talked a lot now about you know, how, we use how you use technology to help the students, but at the same time, you're still a business. Yeah. And you've still got the same core things that any business has. You've, you've got an accounting system. You've got a you know, equivalent of an ERP or CRM, in your case, a school management system. You've got email. You've got all of the things that make up any business in the world. Do you, do you, is, is it like you're running a normal business IT and this whole education thing, so kind of your double-headed hydra, or, or is it wrapped in together as one thing? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point. I've never really thought of it um, probably as the double-headed. Um, I've really thought about how can I utilise my knowledge and experiences um, to drive the outcomes that the school needs and wants. So I look at it fairly holistically. I step back and think, okay, we're a school. We're not flush with money, regardless of what any school says. They don't have the money. Um, so we've got to be very careful with our choices and get you know, that old biggest bang for the buck. So... I don't think we're that different, except we don't have the ability, like some corporate organisations, to dip the toe in the water in some area and, and spend some money and go, oh, that didn't work, we'll move on. No, we've got to be very careful with our choices, so we evaluate um, lots of demonstrations to really understand how we can maximise the value, and that's the key word, value, out of our spending technology. Okay, cool. So first, just a question without notice, because I like doing those and these <laughs> things. Um, cloud or on-prem? Cloud, always. Um, look, fortunately for us, um, in 2019, we moved to the cloud. It was one of the tasks uh, I had on my plate when I first came to the school. It was Andrew moves to the cloud. 
okay, well, I had to evaluate where we were at. Um, and in 2019, we did that. Now, fortunately for us, um, a little nasty bug appeared in uh, yes. <laughs> late 2019, early 2020, which ensured that if we didn't have, um, if, we, if we hadn't have moved to the cloud, I don't know where we would have been from a education delivery model. Yeah. Tell, tell me a bit about that, because all of a sudden, one day, here you are, things are happening normally, you're teaching away, delivering um, you know, um, classroom classes, and someone says, hey, guess what? We're all going to go home. The whole school's locked down. Everybody's staying at home now. Make education work. Bye. I think there's a week's <laughs> notice before they had to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. So what, how did that, what, tell me a bit about what happened there. Uh, yeah, after we all picked ourselves up the floor thinking, oh, how are we going to do that? First thing was, uh, okay, look at where we're at and where we need to be very quickly. Where we're at, we're in the cloud. Okay, we've, we have the technology, build and they will come. Fortunately for us, um, Microsoft reached out and we had a white glove approach and we moved very, very quickly to Microsoft Teams. We, you know, we were using Google Me, Google Hangouts, um, Teams and Zoom in various, very small areas of the school. Um, but for us, you know, the partnership with Microsoft reached out white glove service and we, within the week, we had moved everyone into a teamed class environment so we were ready to teach within the week. On top of that, some, some key things was our PBX, which was still on-prem at the moment, you know, that wasn't going to cut it. So cloud-based IVR, potentially, you know, students and teachers were now having to learn remotely. They were still going to have issues, but they couldn't call in this school. So cloud-based IVR up and running within the week. Um, crisis communication app was another one. You know, in three days we had that so that at any one time, we knew where teachers were, what the issues were. We could communicate um, in a moment's notice. Um, we saw our teams go from something like two meetings a day to 760. You know, with 4,000 classes we'd set up. Um, you know, the, the statistics just were incredible. Um, and that's how we managed very, very quickly. Within that week, we were up and running. Now, I won't say it was smooth sailing. <laughs> there were hiccups along the way. But generally speaking, with those sort of turnaround and training teachers in how to deliver a remote educational experience, that, that was key. And our, our digital literacy and learning team were fantastic in bringing the teachers up to a level where they could utilise the, the tools that we delivered uh, to the best of their capabilities. Uh, yeah, I must say, look, watching all that happen, I was very Im impressed that there were not more issues. Um, there was, I mean, there was so much change in such a short period of time and it was like, not just like, oh, let's just do th this way instead of that way. It's like, these are massive changes. This is, you know, all of a sudden, all this class structure and um, student data is now in a team's environment such that they're, oh, the right people are turning up to the right teams at the right time. The right classes are being delivered to the right groups. The, and, you know, all the, all the issues that come with that as well as the other things you mentioned. And yet it all more or less seemed to work okay. It was, it was quite impressive. It was, and that's, that comes down to the teachers, you know. Um, the, the teachers, they're, they're true vocationalists and, and their dedication to deliver those outcomes for the students, uh, they wanted to learn because they needed to deliver that. <laughs> they wanted to deliver that experience mm. to the students. Um, and that was half of the, the battle. Like the rest we could teach and train, but they wanted it. They wanted to keep going, and it, it was great to see. Now, if we were still back on the like the blackboards and chalk or the, the whiteboards and markers, I suppose, it would have been a different story. 
it would have been abject failure. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a nice holiday for all the students, right? For two years, yes. <laughs> now, we, we've had that remote learning concept sort of on and off, and in some cases still happening uh, for what, a couple of years now. How has that developed? You know, what's What's been changing in, in there? What's the little fine-tuning bits or, oh, hang on, these these big steps have happened in remote learning themselves? What's Yeah, I, I think now... We've got over that that big hump of having to use it. Right? It's the only way we could deliver. And now teachers are thinking, well, because I had to learn that, now I've got this additional way of delivery to my students. How can I now use that to our advantage? So we're talking about you know, in the field, how do we use technology to deliver classes in the field to our remote field operations? So the teachers are now embracing that technology where previously... It was not quite blackboards and, and, uh, and chalk, but now they're embracing that going, okay, how can we utilise that? And it's it's really interesting to see the way that now their reliance on technology is when it doesn't work, they're going, quick, I need this to work, I need it to work fast because I'm now using technology in this way that they probably never thought they would have three or four years ago and now it's become so central, so core to their delivery uh, that they, they're now looking at, better ways to use it. So, so I noticed one of the changes is you've invested actually in you know, professional-grade AV equipment to start streaming events, not just the students, but the whole school community. Yes. So you, so I was saying you now have a member in your team who's not actually IT, AV and cameras and those sorts of things. How's that gone, mixing IT and the more creative side of AV and the team? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's almost come full circle that if it has power connected to it, somehow it's IT's, <laughs> I won't say problem, but it's in our domain. <laughs> yeah. um, unfortunately, with a small team, you can't have that expertise across the entire uh, staffing range. So having an, an individual with dedicated AV knowledge with, with an IT background is brilliant because now that person can be thrown into the mix at a moment's notice. Um, we want to live stream this particular event. We want some videoing of this particular class because we have a special guest who's presenting. Uh, so now we've opened up all these opportunities, not only for you know, IT, but delivery back to the school, where now we can utilise other areas of technology that we never could in the past. You know, we didn't have the tech, we didn't have the people to run it, and now we have that. And so we're delivering a much better experience um, across the board. And underlying that, if I put an IT hat back on for a second, the network. How important is the network now in what you're doing? And by network, I'm talking about like LAN, cabling, switch, uh, switches, the Wi-Fi, internet connectivity, firewalls, security. Well, yeah, there's about half a dozen things you just mentioned then. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, most important network, okay? Internet connectivity. If you don't have that, we're, yes, it's very <laughs> difficult to, to do that. Um, however, you touched on something that's probably even closer to my heart, and that's around security. Um, it's one of the key things, I think, um, in the education space that we're always focused on delivery, delivery and outcomes. We're, we're not really understanding by doing that, what are we exposing ourselves to? Um, and so security is right up there um, alongside delivering that network. Because without the network, yes, you can't have the things that we've got today, but you need the security in there to protect what we have. I think that's crucial. Hmm. Cool. So, um, yeah, 
you've got a team which people go, oh, that's a bigger team than we thought you'd have, etc. And you've got various skills within the team, but you still engage external partners for certain things. Where where are the areas you're finding the most benefits from engaging externally versus being able to hire internally? And obviously in the IT market, hiring anyone's crazily expensive and really difficult now. Yes. Yeah. So for me, um, there's areas of expertise. As you said, you know, we now have an AV person on staff, which is brilliant. We never had that expertise before. But that's only just one area of IT, you know, networks, servers, end-use computing, um, Microsoft specialists, building our Power, Power BI dashboards. You know, they're, they're tools, they're, they're skills that we don't have in-house, and we need to go to market for those sorts of skills. And so partnering with MSPs that have that is key for me because I, I could treble my team and still not be able to hit every touch point of delivering a quality service to the school. Um, because there are so many aspects of technology that you need expertise in, and we just can't do it. So it's it's crucial. Okay, cool. So I know one thing you're in the process of doing at the moment is is doing open heart surgery on your school management platform and going <laughs> for a new one. Um, it's it's really interesting because yeah, um, we deal with customers all the time who are saying you know I want to replace my ERP or my CRM or my customer management platform or, or whatever it is, and and. The expectations of how long that should take vary from we'll have it done by next Friday um, <laughs> to we'll have it done a week next Friday or we want it done on the 30th of June. We've told you on the 5th, what's the problem? Um, give us an idea. It, it's, it, it, you know, you're significantly bigger than most enterprises in Australia. In fact, you're, you're not. You're kind of in the medium bottom end from business point of view. Yes. Um How long is it going to take to migrate? And same vendor from one system to another system. Um, and doing that properly, what do you think the impact will be to the school? Because it's still, you can't get away with no impact when you do those sorts of things. So talk us through, you know, if I'm a business owner thinking, yeah, I want to replace my CRM or, or I've used you know, MYOB for 100 years, I want to go to something different. Talk about that type of process. Okay, so the, so the first part of that process is um, you know, what do you need to change? Mm -hmm. Understand that driver. Um, it might be ancient technology, it might be on-prem, you need to go to the cloud. It just might be old and clunky and time to move on. So understanding why you need to change. Then it's looking at what's out there in the market. And people think you could do that in a week. All right, we'll just have a quick look around. Oh, there's a couple of, yep, oh, that looks okay. Let's do that. Mm. No, that could take anywhere from full on with a dedicated team, um, you know, three months to 18 months to evaluate the key products. You know, so you make the long list, the short list. Then you look at the demonstrations. You get them in, you understand what you have today, what this new product will be, and then map the migration path of how you're going to do that. So the whole pre-work before you even get down to signing a contract and deciding could take 18 months quite easily, mm -hmm. quite easily depending on where you sit. As you said, we're a medium-sized, smaller medium-sized business. Um, it's COVID was a little bit disruptive to our, uh, and we don't have a dedicated sort of project team for that to understand all that. But you still need to evaluate all the other products in the market and, and bring key stakeholders in, and that's crucial. Um, you're still looking at 12 months minimum to do something like that. Once you've decided on the vendor, um, you then start looking, okay, what's the project plan? What's the implementation of this? Um, and not forgetting that you just don't whack a system in, whack a new heart in, as you said. This is, this is the key, this is the heart and soul of a school's business, the school management solution. 
Um, so you just can't throw it in there without understanding the cause and effects of the migration as well as the training. And the training is crucial. And so many people, so many people when they deliver a project do not pay enough attention to the training. Yes, so I suppose every administrative process is going to have to shift in some way, shape or form. Oh, a, a lot. And, and some of them fundamentally. Yeah. Then you hear the, well, that's not the way we used to do it. No. So let's, let's forget about the past. <laughs> let's look at the way you're going to do it now. But Andrew, we've always done it that way. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's why we're still in this position. <laughs> now, if, I go, if I go back a few years, it was and look at the IT function within a business, uh, for example, it would generally be, yes, we'll get the computers rolled out, we'll make sure they work, we'll make sure the server turns on and off and keep the power running, and yeah, all those standard sort of IT operational things that were sort of probably removed from the average business operations. Yeah, it's certainly a, a very important thing. You, you, know, you can't leave the computers turned off and expect the business to run. Um, but a lot of the, if it was an insurance company, if it was a, a manufacturer or whatever, they just sort of treat the computer as granted that when you tap on the keyboard, it's going to work. But there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes for that. So over time, when we start talking to client boards and the executive teams and really start to show what's possible with IT, and it's more than just it's a, it's more than just a laptop with a power button, uh, the systems, the applications, the various things you can do these days are you know, quite impressive. And here's how we could use them in your business to improve that or your business to improve that. We've noticed that after a while the business executive teams or the management team start coming back to us saying, I saw this, could we use this? Or maybe this isn't the right fit, but this type of concept, how do we make that work here? And now they're actually starting to say, we're getting a feel for what's possible. And that that's really accelerated what is uh, where the direction of those businesses and the technology adoption curve in those businesses. Are you seeing that sort of in the schools as well? Yeah, and I think COVID assisted with that. <laughs> um, unfortunately, yeah, it, it was a it was an event that was just distressing for a lot. For IT, however, it's, it it moved the needle quite rapidly, and so people talk about we did five years worth of change in five months. Mm. Um, they're not actually that far off the truth. <laughs> they could have actually done it in three months. There's so much change, and I think now because of COVID and the way most IT organisations stepped up and got businesses through that, I think IT's just got a few more seats at the table now. Mm. They're starting to be seen as a real business partner rather than that necessary evil over the corner that keeps the lights on, that keeps your computers on, that tells you to turn it off and on when you know it's not working and suddenly magically it occurs. You know, 20 years ago, people go, what did you do? What did you do? Now it's like, oh, yeah, we just do it ourselves. It's interesting because uh, just on a week ago, I gave a, a cybersecurity talk to about 50 accounting firms. Um, and I, this is something I tend to do every year in, in, this, um, in this sort of uh, group. And a couple of years ago, just as you know, pretty much at the time COVID was coming around, um, I gave this presentation on, look, here's the current state of cybersecurity. Here's where people are getting hacked. Here's where to be aware of. Here are some of the key issues. Here's what you need to be on top of, blah, blah, blah. And you know, off we went for you know, the better part of an hour. And at the end, I said, do you have any questions? There were two questions. Someone said, so what antivirus should I use? I said, oh, okay, well, that's a good start, but mm -hmm. this is a lot deeper than that. And yeah. then the second question was, you know, sh should I use a Mac instead of a PC? 
thinking that that's going to be the bulletproof solution to all these cybersecurity issues. And I thought, oh, God, we've got so you know, we've got a long way to go. This is terrible. I gave this presentation an updated version of it last week. The first question was, with the advent of quantum computing, how do you feel that the ability to crack passwords within a finite amount of time is going to impact on our ability to secure systems and data for our clients? And oh, okay, <laughs> and that's that's the sort of thing that I'm seeing. Aside from strange questions in some cases, well, where did that come from? But they're a lot more aware, and people are a lot more aware of what's possible, and also the technologies that are that are out there and what they can potentially do. In some cases, what they may not be able to do as well. Um, but they're on top of things a lot more. And you've got to, oh, okay, that's that's really good thinking. Let's, let's explore that. Let's, let's see. And hmm. Clearly, your presentation skills have improved over time as well. <laughs> Having some interesting questions rather than those. Mm. Yes, um, antivirus. Yeah, that's the first tick in the box. Yeah. Many ticks in the, in the boxes after that. Well, well, that's just it. Because when you get those sort of bits of feedback, um, I think, Oh, I haven't done well with this group. I've I've missed the mark. They're they're nowhere near where I was pitching this thing. And and after last week, I said I should have gone a bit harder. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, look, I think I think the audience, the appetite for learning, um, has a lot to do with it. You know, we're looking at ISO twenty seven thousand one at the moment, um, and you're looking at working through all of the controls to ensure you know, we're adhering to best practice. Um, globally, protecting our and securing our, uh, our data. We have lots of data, every school does. So, you know, how do you protect it? Do you have the right processes, the right controls in place? Um, and testing and evaluating those controls on an annual basis is key. So, you, you know, talk about that first question about antivirus and the second one's about quantum computing 12 months down the track. I think all schools are sort of moving to that very quickly. You're introducing things like MFA, you know, which should have been done years ago. They're now going, oh, they're now thinking faster and a lot of things are happening far faster than yeah, I, I would have said what i think when I, we first got engaged i got first got engaged with with, with the school um the concept of multi-factor authentication was, it just wouldn't have flown at all no. that needle's really moved right oh. this is quite amazing yeah absolutely and it's not the only one yeah no. we've seen that in vendor applications as well you you cannot leave it off anymore there's a pit my vendors are forcing it on in their applications at certain times. They haven't already very soon. They're sending out at least notices. You won't be able to log in without it very soon. You, and it's it's good. Yeah. Agree. Cool. So, yeah, this has been a nice, wide-ranging conversation. Let's do some kind of more blue sky questions. Given the education sector and given what technology's delivering to that sector, what's one of the issues where technology isn't delivering and what could the tech industry do better? Wow, where it's not delivering. Um, that's a great question. I think that having enough time to do that blue sky in the school is the first thing that we need to address because we're, we're, we're not in that, um, we're, we're reactive at the moment, right? We're, we're not being proactive. Sure, there's things like, Technology, oh, we're still not moving around. We're not moving around. Yeah, I'll yeah, do the lights sure. again. <laughs> uh, I, I think that utilising the, the technology, such as the immersive VR technology, we could do a hell of a lot more with that. Virtual teaching with VR headsets, whiteboarding. I, I think there's so many opportunities to drive the involvement of teachers and students into those emerging technologies. We just don't have the bandwidth. Um, and that's a challenge. So you're, you're too busy to work out how to be less busy. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. Um, we just talked about the school management solution, you know, immersed in that. We've just done a major rebuild school, so immersed in all of the, the build work and the networking, the edge um, for that. So it's very difficult to be able to take a step back and strategically look. And, and that's that's an interesting thing, you know, how do you look strategically about delivering technology that when it's sort of bleeding edge, leading edge, it's still expensive. It's still very, very expensive. And so you have to take a fairly pragmatic view and go, I think this would be great for the school, but we just can't afford it. And so we have to take a step back and go, well, that's something I could look at in two or three years' time. Prices come down, appetite increases, let's go. Rather than being on that leading edge and doing it now because uh, the cost benefit and the unknown mm. impact severely on mm, the outcomes that everyone thinks may or may not occur. So I saw a cartoon the other day, so I'm going to lead into a question. You remember the three monkeys, the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Apparently there's a fourth monkey. When it's involved in its mobile phone, it doesn't hear, speak or, 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 <laughs> or, or do anything or see. Um, there's got to be a balance, right, with the students of how much technology do you give them, how much is good and how much is bad with all the benefits technology can bring through live streaming, through building, through the maths that they learn, through the pedagogical outcomes, through the, through the rest of it. How does the school balance that to not just have a, a bunch of students continuously immersed in a device? That's a very poignant question given uh, schools recently, some schools uh, have been in the news for removing mobile phones. Um, come in, you put it in a lock bag for the day, you take it mm. when you leave. Uh, it's an interesting question. You look at what are we trying to train our students, you know, educate them in the use, the appropriate use of technology. So there's there's companies out there that can assist with, with that in terms of filtering access to web content, in terms of monitoring you know, bad behavior, um, you know, trying to access VPNs through school networks, et cetera, and they can put those checks and balances in place. But around the mobile technology, I, I think we're at a real inflection point. If you look around and you just walk down the street, the number of people that actually aren't looking at where they're going, they're looking at their phone, uh, scrolling on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever they're doing, um, they're not looking at directions where to go. They're, they're, they're working, they're walking, they're, they're talking as they go. They're not taking the environment in around them. They're just focused on that. So with students, that screen time, I think, has a real detrimental effect because they're not interacting as well, you and I did in, in the playground many years ago. They're not learning some of those life skills. Um, they're focused on this. And, and this, this is a virtual reality world to them. You've only got to look at things like TikTok and, and, and those other applications that students and others immerse themselves in. So do they live more in the app than in real life? Yeah, it's like second chance, you know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like those you know, immersive applications, but, but they're immersed in a phone that gives them an opportunity for multiple applications, multiple yes. life in-life experiences in the phone. Not real life, you know, but that's what their, their life is about now. So you know, we need to be very careful and think about how do we... Give them the freedom to, to learn and grow with these devices, but at the same time educate them on the number of things they're missing out on if that is their cell phones. Yeah, I, I noticed, and this is a few years ago now, one of the um, cities in Korea, if not quite a few, um, started putting the traffic signals embedded them into the footpath so that as you walk along, you usually have your you know, star green walk, 
read Don't Walk Across the Road, but people are always looking at their phones, so they're not looking up. Um, because they're looking at their phones while they're walking, they're sort of also watching where their feet are going. So, so they, they, they actually put, put it down on the sidewalk, yeah. in, in the literally as on the little area that goes onto the road, just before the road. They were flashing the signals up on there, green and red. Um, and look, I, it's, it's a very unique approach, and I think it's actually quite good. Is it the right outcome we're after? I don't know. But Are they trying to fix the root cause, which is yes, the, the attachment to the phones? Or are they just putting a Band-Aid over it to, to stop people getting hit by walking off the, off the footpath? Okay, well, rather than you know identifying the phone is the root cause of this and trying to put mm. measures in place, no, we'll just sort of band-aid it over with that. And, and I think for for schools, we need to think uh, a lot more deeply, a lot more clearly about the cause and effect of having this technology with us twenty four seven. And look, it it is a key thing. I don't know if anyone has the right answer yet. Um, I'm, I do think that if you're going to take the phones off students and put them in a bag or a box until the end of the day, that's not what happens in the workplace. Correct. So are you really training people to be appropriate for workload? Or should it be how to manage something you're going to have with you anyway? Yes. Um, yeah, no, it, it comes down to that management. I don't think anyone's got it right yet. I think everyone's still thinking about how to get to that point. It's a lot of work to do. Uh, and everyone has their own opinions. And, and <laughs> No more than students. Uh, take my phone away? No. You know, put restrictions on it? No. Yeah, there's, so there's a there's a whole host of issues that would need to be resolved before you can come to. That's probably the best we can do. That was awesome. I think that was, that was, that was a good one. Now, thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. Thank you, thank you. Thank, thank you, Andrew. Much appreciated. And if you do like what you see, please leave us a like. Um, if you like us to discuss a topic, topic, leave a comment, and make sure you subscribe. Thanks so much for watching today. Have a great day. See ya. Bye.